Call is now being recorded. We are SC Podcast Sunday Morning Cornerback Edition. Gary Pasquitz joined, as always, by Daryl Rideau. And, uh, Daryl, USC victory over Colorado yesterday, 38-24. Let's get to the initial bit of good news. Uh, the Trojans are in the Pac-12 title game. Daryl, that's not something we're going to take for granted. Let's celebrate that. And you you have to because while, you know, there have been some seasons where USC has had really good teams, but due to the sanctions and due to the fact that they were not eligible, they technically were not Pac, or Pac-12 South champions. But now mm-hmm. they can actually claim that, and they've earned it. Get into that game, yeah, and it's, it's been since 2008 since we won a Pac-12 title. Can't win it till you get there. We'll be there. So following that, though. Daryl, this was a game that uh, when you and I got on the phone to get ready for this podcast, you said that maybe it's just a case of this is what this USC team is. And I think that's very accurate. This was a very familiar pattern, this game, to one that we've seen over and over again this season. Uh, the Trojans getting out to a substantial lead, playing well, letting the other team get back into it, but find a way to win when all is said and done in the end. That's pretty much what happened in this game. So I think we are seeing that this is the Trojan team that is going to be in the Pac-12 title game, uh, is one that is still growing and learning on the job. Let, let's talk through a couple things in the in the first half really sure. quick. A, a, a sloppy first quarter, scoreless first quarter, but then you get a couple Sam Darnold touchdown passes. I thought the way that uh, first it was Tyler Vons and then it was Michael yeah. Pitt. Boy, the, the two of them, you're starting to see how these younger receivers are growing up. And then you had a Jane Harris win an, an interception for a score right before halftime. You go into half 20 nothing, and like you say, after that a Jane uh, pick, you kind of felt like things were in hand at that point going into the locker room. Yeah, you know, and what's interesting about that is uh, this team, we talked about familiar patterns, but uh, this 2017 USC football team has often been deemed an experienced team. But the reality is, Gary, and it might have a lot to do with the injury factor, this is this is a young team blended with veteran leadership. But this is not technically a veteran team that has been through, you know, years of, of dogfights. There's a lot of young players that have been implemented. So naturally when you go up, the mind has a when you go up, you know, twenty points, the mind has a tendency of wanting to lax starting to think about what you're going to do after the game, feeling good about the fact that, you know, you're pretty much a uh, half away from clinching the Pac-12 South. Well, guess what? Your opponent makes adjustments in, you know, coming out of halftime. And over the last few weeks, USC hasn't exactly lit the world on fire coming out of coming out of halftime. So those third quarters have been long and have allowed teams to uh, crawl back into games. And I believe that's what we saw in this game with Colorado starting to creep back into it, Gary. Fifth straight game in a row that USC has been outscored in the third quarter. Yeah, that, that, that's just a bad statistic, and and it's just really it's, it's a combination of bad football, unforced errors by the Trojans, and we talked about them, just, you know, kind of mentally lapsing. I saw a lot of that. I saw guys just really not finishing plays, and as a result of that, you know, the game gets somewhat sloppy, and when it gets sloppy, and you start taking unnecessary risks that's when you allow a team to build momentum. And on the road, you just cannot afford for that. But, you know, oftentimes the teams that USC goes up against, let's face it, by the, just by factor of the way that they recruit and by the way that they start to gel throughout the season, especially in the month of November and late October, um, USC is a hard team to to put away. So, you know, teams might have these, these um, 
of, of successful possessions, but it's hard to sustain those possessions against a talented team like USC. So they do find a way to kind of rein it in, and that's simply because they build up so much equity in the first half, going up 27 to nothing, um, be, before you know Colorado makes their their charge back. I think it's because of how explosive they start games and how much they finish games, Gary, that they give themselves a fighting chance in every game, despite when teams start to make a route to come back. Right. We, we, we saw in the third quarter a, a pair of touchdown passes with Colorado. And, and while they were able to make it a little bit of a game, they never got within you know two, two touchdowns. There was always that, that, that cushion, but they did yeah. make it a 13-point game with a field goal early in the fourth. But once again, it was that ability to close out. It was Ronald Jones and, and the defense. Uh, in that fourth quarter alone, Rojo carried the ball eight times for 49 yards, including a touchdown, and that was a terrific cutback, Daryl, when, when yeah, Rojo was. took the ball to the right oh. and then cuts back to the left. Uh, oh, and, and we'll talk about him a, l- a little bit later some more. But then the defense. I want to talk about some, some plays in the defense in the fourth quarter. You had on a third down play a batted down pass by Uchenna Nuusu. You yeah. had another interception by Ajene, which – his knee was barely down before a very aware play to a lateral to Marvell, which would have been a touchdown. And then how about John Houston, a pair of back-to-back plays to end the game, first showing his versatility with a pass breakup in the end zone and then a tackle for yeah. loss on the quarterback. Uh, yeah. Really an effort. And once again, like you say, finding a way to close out the game, you had the little cushion and you just took care of business, and you won the football game. And so you are now 9-2, and 7-1 and one in conference. You'll face the Bruins next week, take a week off, yeah. And then go ahead and get to uh, the title game. But I want to talk about the yin and the yang of this game, Daryl. You talk about yes. the, the Trojans putting themselves in good position. There was a lot of good in this game. I don't think there's any question. Let's look it's at Sam Darnold right at the top. Let's look at Sam Darnold right at the top. Clay Helton said that might have been his best game of the year. Um, some big time throws. Oh my goodness, Gary! When we talk about Sam Darnold, showed you why if he decided to come out while. Mm-hmm. You know, recruits, I mean, not recruits, but scouts and teams may give these uh, these interceptions the benefit of the doubt because of his uncanny ability to stand in the pocket, deliver strikes and dimes throughout or across the field, but when he escapes, his eyes seem to perifte the field, and he can make, quite frankly, throws that no other player in college football seems to be able to make consistently. And, you know, and, and, and so as, he, as his top four receivers – um, demonstrate on a weekend and week out basis that 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 they're healthy enough to be in the rotation. We are now starting to see the glitter and the magic that Darnold showed at the end of last season. And boy, you know, is he happy that he's getting a full arsenal of of, of skill um, players at the right time. And boy, some of those well, some of the throws that he completed were impressive. I thought one of his most impressive plays was a pass that was incomplete when he scrambled to the right. Yeah. Absolutely was just dodging defenders. And then, Darrell, when he looked up and, and identified Burnett, he didn't have but a split second to make yeah. that throw. And it was incomplete. But it wasn't like he was eyeballing De- Deontay going all the way across the field. Um, to me, that was just as good of an example of his awareness. Right. Do you know in the last right. six games, Darrell, people were wondering at the beginning of the season what's wrong with Sam. In the last six games, 15 TDs, three picks. There's nothing wrong 15 with Sam. 15 TDs, 3, there is nothing wrong with Sam. The only thing was, was just a matter of chemistry, you know, of being able to trust that guys are going to be where he thought they would be, you know. But mm-hmm. what was also impressive, Gary, was in the first half, um, you know, when when he scrambled, Darnold scrambled for that touchdown, he uh-huh. made a decisive 
move, put his foot in the ground, and scamper for, I believe it was, what, 20, 25 yards or 24 yards right. that, on, on that touchdown. And I think it's because of his, you know, overall athletic ability that, you know, it forces the defense to keep an eye on him because of that play early in the game. You talked about the play to Burnett that ended up being, you mm-hmm. know, incomplete. Uh, a play like that where you score on a 24-yard, you know, scamper up the middle – sets up opportunities like that later in the game. And, I mean, just across the board, you know, I know we're going to talk about Rojo and his 25 carries for 142 yards in a tut. But you know what I love most about him is when he committed to running physical. You know, mm-hmm. we've had big backs in the past like Lindell White who would, and um, and Chauncey. Um, was it Chauncey? Washington. Yeah, like Washington. It. There you go. I almost said Williams, but Chauncey Washington. These were physical backs, but what makes Rojo special, in my opinion, is at the point of collision and at the point of contact, Gary, Rojo accelerates into the defender, which makes it hard for them to get a clean shot on him. That's why his body bounces off, and he continues to get those extra yards after contact. Love that about it. Those guys, ro- those guys rolled in here as physical backs. The, this guy rolled in here as a 10-3 sprinter. Right, <laughs> yeah, one of my, my type of guys. I love him. Exactly. <laughs> You're talking those numbers. Um, yeah. But he has developed himself this year into physical back. And, Daryl, let, let, let's face it. When you are moving up into sixth place on the USC all-time rushing list, uh, you're, you're in rare air. You're in rare air. Right. And considering he missed some games. You know, in his career, imagine where he would be. But look, I'm look, I'm just excited that we're getting the best version of Rojo now because this is a team that needs his leadership and oh, that no needs doubt. this type of uh, physicality. He is one of the best closers in all of college football, complemented with Sam Darnold's ability to just perish the field. But um, Rojo continues to just light it up, and he makes it look – easy. His conditioning is on point. I give a lot of credit to just the commitment to wanting to be the best version of himself he could be. Yeah, he, the way he's running right now and, and producing week in and week out, the, the, this is something we haven't seen consistently from a USC tailback in a while, but 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 it's tailback you. The, 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 this is. is what we yeah. should get used to. I, I would love to see it. Um, right. So kudos to you, Rojo. Let, let's flip it over to the defensive side of the ball, Daryl. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, I want to say something about offense, and, and no turnovers for the offense. Sam did have the fumble, um, but it got right back to him. So that, that's we, we've right. talked a lot about uh, turnovers in the past. Let's recognize when we don't have any. Uh, yeah, you know, and, and you, you have to be excited about that. But, uh, look, if, uh, I love the fact that this offense takes risks. Um, and is not afraid to put the ball in, in tight windows, you know, and granted it does lead to turnovers, but to, to go in a game where, you know, it was virtually in terms of um, statistically uh, no turnovers, that bodes extremely well for this offense moving forward. Right. Let, let, let's flip it over and talk about uh, to the, the best thing that you and I, I think, both thought the defense did in this game was holding Philip Lindsay in check 68 yards running the football. Uh, he, he was their big gun. And you figured yeah. if they were going to ride somebody in this game that it would be Lindsey. But Daryl, he he never really got on track a, a, as a guy who was going to take over the football game. What, what, what did you see that allowed that to happen for the Trojan defense? Addition by subtraction, Gary. And, and you know, and I, I love certain players, but let's, let's face it: going into this game, this is not this was not the same um, eleven man defensive lineup 
that it was at the beginning or even in the middle of the season, you know. But mm-hmm. um, I give a lot of credit once again in the secondary. Isaiah Langley's ability to play man coverage in space and not require the help of a safety allows for Clancy Pendergast and this defensive staff to dial up different exotic type of looks. But at the end of the day, pre-snap, right before the ball is actually snapped, they're able to put two safeties in the box, creating a nine-man box. In between tackle to tackle makes it very difficult, and guys like Lindsey don't see the running lanes that they might have saw last year when you had the babies at the middle of the field with the safety 18 yards deep. So I think it's because of Langley and um, on, on the other side, Jack Jones, their ability to line up against any uh, – taller short receiver and play man coverage allows for this defense that type of versatility okay uh let's go first to linebackers and i want to credit john houston for leading the team in tackles again uh with 11 and then making two big plays at the end uh we we talked about the versatility making the pass breakup and then coming up with a tackle for loss but let's talk about your secondary daryl and you already started with langley nine tackles second on the team in this game congratulations isaiah that's a big number uh daryl they were physical in this game. Your secondary, yes. it was noticeably physical. Yeah, you, you know, we used to joke uh, throughout the years that when you go on the road and you're playing against physical running teams, you bring your big boy pads. Because mm-hmm. in the secondary, in particular at the corner position, tackling sometimes is a business decision. And oftentimes they think twice before they punch in that clock and they decide to to stick their nose in like the safeties do. But make no mistake about it, this is a gritty group that loves playing physical, loves playing with contact. Even guys like Jack Jones, converted over from the receiver's side, you know, doesn't mind sticking his head where it doesn't belong at times. And uh, Jane Harris, look at quarterback. Yes, a former quarterback. Jane hair hit on Ross, which I love the fact that he looked at it and, and determined it legal. Um, yes. Matt Lopes on special teams. They looked yes. at the hit, ter- determined it legal. Uh, Jackie's on fields, which, you know, it was a legal hit. They didn't even look at it. Uh, say what you will on it, but he, he, he made another big hit. Daryl, again, another physical day out there, not to mention a JNA's two interceptions. <laughs> oh, no, yeah, no, no doubt about that. Um, but you, you know what I love about it is some teams will just kind of line in, zero up. And they throw caution to the wind, and they're just looking to explode on a receiver. But this group mm-hmm. is smart. This group, they know when to take their chances, when to play physical, and then when to become ball sharks. And and um, the, the veteran leadership of that group, I think, makes this team go uh, defensively because um, – that physicality in the linebackers knowing that if the ball spills to the outside, that they got sure tacklers that, that are going to make plays allows for that trust factor. And that's why I think we see this defense playing well when it needs to get teams off the field. The last play I want to make about things that really went right for the Trojans in this game, uh, let's credit Brandon Peely and Austin Jackson, a pair of true freshmen with yes. block, block kicks. Uh, how much do you like that? Two very athletic guys there. That's arguably your most athletic, athletic offensive line freshman, and Peely is incredible. How great to see them get those kicks. You, you know, when you talk about the one time throughout the game when offense comes together with defenses on special teams, and to see guys sell out 
on a week in and week basis who normally, you know, are accustomed to, you know, really kind of focusing on their position. But but to feel a part and to be a part of something special like that, those are plays that, to me, bond and gel a team. And and to watch two puppies, two freshmen come into their own and make contributing plays at a crucial time when I thought that, you know, if those plays start to go in favor of Colorado, it becomes a different Mm -hmm. ball game. You know, so – um, putting that on film, going into the last, the, the last stretch of this season, uh, is, is, is definitely, it feels great, especially getting on that plane. Okay, so we've talked about the good, and the, but then we talked about the, this was also another game where the Trojans got in their own way at times. Clay Helton has been calling it stepping on our own toes. Uh, let's hit on some of the examples of those. Uh, the penalties once again, n- nine for 79 yards in this game. Uh, the one on Vaughn's for spinning the football, uh, I didn't agree with that one. Let's just put it that way. Uh, but then there was ones like Chuma's hit on Mitchell's nice run, and then Chuma comes in late and, and gets a block. You know, J- 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 Jackie Jones, we mentioned him, the ups and downs, but whatever he did that gets uh, talking to from Clay Helton, that's not working. So the penalties, once again, he had a missed field goal on the opening drive. McGrath, McGrath has an injured groin. I'm not worried about that. But still a chance to get points on the board in the first drive, and you didn't do it. We talked about the right. third quarter getting outscored uh Five, five, five straight games in that regard. Um, I don't know what you thought. I know there's a lot of criticism on the WeRSC message board right now, Daryl, in talking about the play calling, specifically the possession after a JNA second pick when there was five minutes left in the game. You had a chance to really take some time off the clock or do whatever. You only took 22 seconds off the clock. You, you threw the ball a couple times. Um, that right there. And then I do want to talk, Daryl, more about Jackie Jones and what you're seeing from this young man. You know, um, that's that's a that's a lot to talk about, Gary. But um, you know, but the way that I see it is this: okay, just as this team is coming together, uh, this is still a coaching staff that is still kind of finding its way, developing its own chemistry, trying not to step on one another's toes. Okay, and, and oftentimes when uh, a team goes into a game, they'll script the first. 20 to 25 plays. Uh, okay, and and I'm all for that, sticking to the script. But then there comes a time where you have to have a feel for the game and understand what direction that the the game is heading. And once you identify what is working and the momentum that your team is feeding off of, whether it's the passing is clicking or the power running game, you must stay in tune with and in sync with what your team is, is asking you for, more of, I should say, asking you more of. And at times, I think that this coaching staff puts designs these trick plays and it just it becomes momentum killers like the flea flicker pass you know and that stuff doesn't that's not sc that's not the that, sc that i grew up with and it's not the fabric of why you recruit guys you don't have to be the Jalen did seem like an odd call at the time it just did it, it does you know and so at times when we talk about them getting in their own way it's killing their own momentum. It, it, mm-hmm. it's, it's these negative plays that that could be avoided if there is more of an awareness of the tempo and the pace of the game. But to flip and talk about Jack Jones, the yin and the yang, you know, it's his DNA, it's his personality that I think is somewhat of what we're seeing with this team. You'll get great plays from Jackie, but then you'll get some plays where he takes unnecessary risk. You know, and that unnecessary risk is costly at times because when you're playing the corner position, especially in zero coverage, 
Zero coverage meaning there's no free safety high. You cannot afford to take chances and go for picks when the play calls for you to just simply make a play. Okay, statistics are offense is, is going to you know beat you six out of ten times. So if you win four out of ten battles and those four plays you win are critical plays, you did your job. But to jump plays early in the game and and to give up a big touchdown because of a, a busted coverage. Well, guess what that does? When you make the mistake in the secondary, Gary, it doesn't just impact you on the field, but it causes the stadium to erupt with emotion. And that emotion carries over to the other aspects of the game. So, not to point him out, but he's big enough, mature enough to handle the fact that, you know, um, that his play cannot be uh, one-sided where you're looking to take a shot. You have to think about what's best for the team, and what's best for the team sometimes is just to allow the receiver to make the play and then tackle him in the field of play. And, and all this brings us to the, the final points that I want to make for this podcast, Daryl, and, and that is talking about this team that is, uh, you know, worked themselves to a nine and two record and appearance in the in the title game, and, and yet there are still parts of the team that people are looking at, saying this is not a mature. A mature football team, not so much uh, experience, but just in terms of execution and doing everything right. There is still a growth process going on. And earlier in the season, you were talking a lot about the adversity that they were facing and saying this is going to pay off before too long. Sean Cody talked after the radio show, uh, post-game radio show last night saying the team has not developed that killer instinct to execute no matter what the score is. Both of your guys' points kind of go hand in hand, and you and I were talking about because you had the same teacher in Pete Carroll who taught you guys that, and you guys did learn it. But it, as good as this team is and as much as goes right, is that what it simply is a case of? Is this is still some growth process going on with players and, as you alluded to, coaches as well? It is, you know, and the difference between this coaching staff and maybe the coaching staff that we had under Pete Carroll is, you know, and, and granted, I, I think there's a great fair comparison because and my second season was only Pete Carroll. I mean, my yeah, my second season in 2001, 2002, uh, when Pete arrived, my 2002 season, Pete staff had been together for a year and a half. And so we developed the trust amongst players and amongst coaches that they will always put us in a position to make plays and give us the freedom to be individual playmakers. That is what I'm seeing with this coaching staff. But what I'm also seeing is a coaching staff that is still trying to figure out its, its way and, and be courteous to one another as play callers. Okay, co-offensive coordinators or dual, you know, assigning third downs versus, you know, um, T. Martin calling the first series of plays that that could be a little disruptive in, in terms of the flowing chemistry. But what I also noticed is, and I talked about it, you know, the, the adversity that they experienced at the beginning of the season, challenging coming back in these um, these uh, these tight situations, would build callus for them later in the season. But what I cannot account for, Gary, is the amount of times that the lineup would change uh, due to injury, guys in and out. Guys like um, you know um, Port Augustine, who you would rely upon at the beginning of the season, isn't mm -hmm. here at the end of the year. So now your role players who would have a chance to watch from the sideline are now thrusted into situations where even though they witnessed it, they may not have been a part of it. So 
that learning curve is a blend. You got a veteran and an experience now blended in with the new predator. You know, in right. the way that Jordan is playing is great. So, but we talk about it. He watched from the sideline. I don't know if he was drinking a cup of water. You know, when that when that play uh, when a play was being made that could impact him later. And so, for him to understand and feel that uh, that the emotion of that situation. But make no mistake about it, he's made the best of his opportunities, and he's shown up to the point where we didn't even notice that we have our third predator into the game. You know, and, for the team. And when he was having that drink, Rich, how crazy things have been when he was having that drink of water, he was probably watching the inside linebackers because that's what he was a couple of weeks ago. Because that's what he was a couple of weeks ago, you know. <laughs> so, to de- you know, and, and I understand where Sean Cody's coming from. But you develop a killer instinct because you start to trust and you understand how a guy next to you is going to react. But when mm-hmm. you ask someone to step out of their natural habitat, their element, their territory, and to go into new terrain, you don't always know how they're going to react. So that split second of those guys before the snap rehearsing the play that, or, or the technique that they're going to hit versus someone like um, Nchenu Uwusu who instinctively knows where he needs to be, understands the soft pocket and landmarks of where a quarterback wants to throw, and the uh, trajectory of that throw is able to deflect his 10th and 11th pass. That's because he can resort back to experience. Not everybody on the field at this moment has that kind of experience, but give credit to the system that allows guys to plug in and at least be comfortable enough to be in a position to make plays. Daryl, you were a defensive back. Did, did, did you have 11 deflections in a season? Never. <laughs> uh, he is something else, man. He is never, a never, you know. So, but, but, of course, you know why we become defensive backs. Because we, you know, guys like me weren't uh, consistent enough as wide receivers to play wide receivers. So you flip us <laughs> to the other side. But no, nah, he's a. I mean, he is instinctive, you know, and and as complete of a player as one could ask for at that position. Um, and and I think that you know a lot of the defensive backs, you know, who may have opportunities to get picks. I get a little frustrated, but are happy that he's he's collecting those deflections as well. Yeah, that that that, that statement is made with all respect to Nuusu. No, no, nothing else. Uh, nothing else. A, no doubt about it. An that, offensive so. linebacker do you get getting those stats? That's incredible. Yeah, but, but because we've seen him pluck one out of the sky too, Gary. You know, so from from hitting those lanes. So, um, but overall, um, I've come to accept that this team is not perfect. It is beautifully flawed. And as long as they know and understand how to start fast, finish strong, and, you know, I think they can work out, if they can. I don't know if they Mm -hmm. will ever, but if they can, work out the middle aspects of their game, which is the mental part of knowing when to tune out and when to dial in and remain focused on every play. I think we will see a complete game from these Trojans, and it may be an explosive um, you know, combustion of greatness. But until then, I'm I'm willing to accept that this is a beautifully flawed team that just finds a way to keep on winning, and I can accept that. And if they want to have that uh, that perfect blowout game next week against UCLA, that's just fine with me. Just fine, just with, fine me with me too. Yeah, so we'll we'll turn our attention to the Bruins this week, but for right now, uh, the Trojans are in the Pac-12 championship game. Uh, we will look forward to seeing them there. 
For Darrow Doe, this is Gary Pasquitz. You're listening to the We Are SE podcast. Forward to seeing him there. For Darrow Doe, this is Gary Pasquitz. You're listening to the We Are SE podcast. Forward to seeing him there. For Darrow 